Chapter Six of From Tangier to Tripoli by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. In Spanish Africa, I am in what is about the last of Spain's colonial possessions. In the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries, she owned the best part of the New World. If we include the Louisiana Purchase, which we bought from France after Spain had let it slip through her fingers she had the cream of north america she had almost the whole of south america excepting brazil the best of the west indies were hers cortez poured the treasures of montezuma into her royal coffers and pizarro shoeing his horses with solid silver robbed the incas of peru and sent gold freighted galleons sailing across to his spanish sovereign the philippines added to these sources of wealth and for a long time two great golden streams rolled across the atlantic and the pacific to spain's treasure chests in her colonial possessions she was then the richest of all the powers today by mismanagement and oppression she has become the poorest and since her war with us when she lost cuba puerto rico and the philippines there have been none so poor to do her reverence indeed all the land which spain has left outside her own boundaries is in africa and even here her territories are the ragtag and bobtail of the continent. They cover a bit over a hundred thousand square miles, but are largely desert sand or fever swamps, and the tillable lands suitable for white men which they contain are not as big as some counties of Texas, while their total population is only about that of Cleveland. In contrast with this, two of the great powers of Europe have been quietly gobbling up the fat things of this mighty continent, France has the lion's share, if we include the island of Madagascar. She has more than one-third of all Africa. A vast deal of her territory, however, is in the desert of Sahara, being made up of stone and sand, which might form good building materials, but which are of no value where they lie. Great Britain comes next among the national landowners, with close to another third of the continent. Spain owns in Africa the island of Fernando Po, and a small tract on the mainland on the gulf of guinea her country there contains about nine thousand square miles or little more than the area of the state of massachusetts the land is swampy and so unhealthful that it has become known as the white man's grave it is covered with a luxuriant vegetation and produces some india rubber and palm oil the only foreigners are a few spanish french and english merchants the natives are among the most degraded of the africans they are negroes of the lowest type and slavery is common fernando po itself has convict settlements from which the criminals seldom return north of the gulf of guinea between morocco and french west africa spain has a wide strip of land ruled by the governor of the canary islands it stretches for several hundred miles along the atlantic but it is one of the worst parts of the whole desert of sahara it has neither rivers nor oases of any value and is very thinly populated this region of rio de oro is golden only in name spain's northern zone in morocco is a mountainous strip stretching from lareche on the atlantic to melilla on the mediterranean and from ceuta in the north to wazan in the south ceuta is just across the way from gibraltar i passed it on my way to tangier it can be reached from algeciras by a government steamer which takes over dispatches and mail every day 
it consists of a rock on which the town stands and where the fortifications are ceuta was where the moors embarked when they first crossed over from africa to invade spain many centuries ago and they dwell in all the country about it today they still so dislike the spaniards that it is impossible for the ceutu people to go back into the interior unless accompanied by soldiers there are stories that the moors never mention the spaniards without adding in parentheses whom allah curse melilla which i visited is the chief town of what is called spanish morocco it lies on the mediterranean several hundred miles east of ceuta and about thirty-six hours by steamer across the way from malaga melilla has long been noted for its spanish military prison there are eight thousand soldiers stationed there a large number of whom have come as punishment for desertion or other transgressions of military discipline spain has often had to fight the moors to keep her hold on this little patch of morocco and at such times has had tens of thousands of soldiers in melilla and its vicinity i cannot imagine a worse place it makes one think of the inscription over the door to dante's hell which reads all hope abandon ye who enter here the town is built upon a mighty bluff which runs out into the sea there are thirsty hills all about each with a great white round fort upon it and large iron-barred barracks in and about the city outside these large buildings the houses are one and two-story structures of brick and stucco painted all colors of the rainbow they are built spanish fashion in blocks with iron-barred windows as prison-like as their surroundings the inhabitants are chiefly spanish jews and motley moors the jews have little stores in the city and the moors sell in bazaars just inside the walls where each turbaned merchant stands in a sort of hole with his goods piled around him there is a moorish encampment nearby and a caravan trade is carried on with all western and southern morocco i have not found the natives here any too friendly when we landed and showed our passports describing us as americans the soldiers scowled and were none too pleasant although i succeeded in getting some excellent photographs of them during my stay in the town when it became known that we were americans the boys and men gathered around us with a hostile air one of them threw a stone the size of a man's fist at our carriage and narrowly missed hitting me as it was it struck the door handle and bent it our coachman jumped down and ran after the boy but we concluded not to give the offender over to the police and indeed were rather glad when we were safe out of the town it seems odd to think of pirates carrying on their trade in the twentieth century but piracy is a regular business with certain of the tribes of the rift mountains near here they do not go out with large ships and attack the vessels of the mediterranean as they did at the beginning of the last century but they rob and sometimes kill the sailors of the smaller craft when the bad seas drive them upon the shore about a century ago the whole coast of morocco was infested with pirates and there were sea robbers all the way from the strait of gibraltar to tripoli just before entering the strait one sees on the north coast the town of tarifa with its old moorish forts from which the moors swooped down upon passing vessels and made them pay tribute from that town and that practice came our word tariff about the same time the moors of morocco and algeria were preying on all the commerce of the mediterranean and nearly every great nation submitted to their exactions we did so for some years but in eighteen fifteen 
declared war upon these pirates and were the first to bring them to time we had trouble with the day of algiers and sent commodore decatur over to tell him that americans would pay him tribute no longer the day insisted until decatur pointed his guns at the city of algiers then the day began to weaken he sent out word to our commodore suggesting that if he would pretend to storm the town using powder only the tribute might be omitted commodore decatur replied that cannonballs always went with american powder and that if the day received the one he must take the other soon afterward decatur captured some of the algerian ships and the day finally had to pay him damages to the amount of about sixty thousand dollars and to conclude a treaty which renounced all tribute from americans for the future time was when the barbary pirates not only seized the ships but enslaved their captives captain john smith served as such a slave shortly after our refusal to pay tribute the english did likewise and bombarded algiers the french followed in a war with the pirates and in eighteen twenty they threw the day from his throne and took the ten million dollars in gold and silver which they found in his treasury i saw a blind beggar going through the streets here this morning his eyes had been burned out with red-hot pokers by one of the berber chiefs of the mountains near by and he presented a horrible sight i learned that this was done as a punishment for stealing and that it is not an uncommon practice in certain parts of morocco at the first theft the man's hand is cut off while at the second his eyes are burned out sometimes a foot is also cut off after which the thief must move about upon crutches with a boy to lead him during my stay in tangier i rode one morning out into the country and made some photographs of a village which had taken summary vengeance upon an under official who had been unjust and oppressive in collecting taxes for the basha who held office prior to the present governor this official was caught as he passed through the village and his eyes were burned out that was not long ago and it shows that such crimes are still possible in this land of morocco on the other hand a recent sultan of morocco mulai hassan inflicted punishments on his subjects which were horrible to an extreme one of these might be called salting to death it consisted of cutting four great gashes out of the palms of the hands of the offender and filling them with salt the fingers were then bent inward and fitted tightly into the holes or cuts after that each hand was sewed up in green rawhide which shrank as it dried causing terrible pain in some cases the rawhide was sprinkled with lemon juice which it is said rapidly accelerated the shrinking of the hide often forcing the fingernails clear through the palm and out the back of the hand after this the criminal was taken to jail and left without water the torture was such that he usually died within a few days despite the wildness and disorder of her moroccan possessions spain clings to her foothold in north africa and talks of running a railway tunnel under the strait of gibraltar as a part of a line to extend southwestward to the coast of africa at rio de oro perhaps too she hopes some day to regain gibraltar her old stepping-stone to africa i spent some time at gibraltar on my way to morocco and had a good chance to inspect the outside of the fortifications and the harbor improvements the largest of the naval war vessels can be dry docked there while the deep harbor is big enough for the whole british atlantic fleet the rock of gibraltar lies at the end of a narrow neck of land connecting it with the spanish peninsula one could walk across this neck in a few minutes 
the town of gibraltar which contains something like thirty thousand people is situated upon it with its houses extending along the lower sides of the rock itself this rock is a gigantic piece of solid limestone rising almost straight from the water on the side facing the mediterranean sea to a height nearly as great as that of the blue ridge mountains in virginia if you could put two washington monuments one on top of the other and on the top of these a spire as tall as the dome of the capitol you would have just about the height of gibraltar the rock is about three miles long and less than a mile wide at its greatest width approaching it from the sea one sees many portholes here and there along the sides they come from the tunnels within the whole rock has been tunneled it has eighty miles of galleries burrowed through it until it is a honeycomb of chambers the fortifications have of course the finest of modern guns and other war machinery only a few parts of them are shown to visitors and only the british soldiers and war office know just how the works are constructed and defended there are undoubtedly many big guns some of which would land shot in africa across the way where the strait is only about twelve miles wide at that point as gibraltar is practically a free port tobacco and everything else is cheaper there than in spain which is some two miles away across the isthmus the land between is called the neutral ground and there is now a high woven wire fence across it which is guarded day and night by the spanish customs officers the fence was put up in order to prevent tobacco being carried across without duty being paid the smugglers had trained dogs to carry parcels from one side to the other the way they did it was to dress up one of their number as a spanish customs officer and then having tied a bag of tobacco to the neck of the pup they wished to train they would drive him in the direction of this bogus official as soon as the dog came near the man in the customs uniform would run for him and if he caught him would give him a good thrashing the pup soon learning that all men so dressed were his enemies naturally gave them a wide berth forever after the dogs were brought from the spanish side to gibraltar and there loaded with tobacco they would start home on the run and until this fence was erected no customs official could get within a mile of them the british always keep several thousand soldiers at gibraltar the place is a crown colony with a governor-general who is also commander-in-chief in proportion to the area which he rules the governor of gibraltar is one of the best-paid officials on earth his principality covers about two square miles and his salary is twenty five thousand dollars a year our president must look after about three million six hundred thousand square miles if he were paid at the same rate per square mile as is the governor-general of gibraltar he would be receiving the enormous sum of forty five billion dollars a year end of chapter six